0: Who here likes going to concerts? Uh, foolish me. A concert is when you go, uh, there's a band, and they play live music, and you go, yeah. Any concert goers? Yeah. Uh, I used to, uh, we can go to the next slide, by the way. Uh, I used to love going to concerts, especially when I was in middle school, and uh, or high school and college. I went to probably like 30 plus concerts. Uh, and I, whenever I would go, I would always try to go as close to the stage as I could get. I wanted to be right by the band. I just feel like the experience uh, was so much greater when I was up close. But after I would go to the concert and be close to the band, on my way home or even sometimes the next day, my ears would be ringing. Uh, You know, having such a a large impact, the the loud sound left a lasting impact. I would hear everything through this veiled, echoey, ringing sound. It's interesting how we talk uh, about words figuratively having a ringing effect on our ears. Now, obviously, the vibrations of the words themselves are not ringing and bouncing around our ears, But it's an expression that we use when somebody says something and we think about those words a lot. They have a a big impact on us. When you say someone's words are ringing in your ears, you're thinking about those words a lot. Just like going to a loud concert, certain words can have such an impact on us that they can have a lasting ringing effect in our ears. As we continue to go through our forgiving challenge, uh, we're going to be focusing on the third letter of— the third of the acronym of SCARS, talking about absolution. And for this sermon, we are going to be taking another look at the gospel account in John chapter 21, uh, looking at Peter. Now, I will say right off the bat that even though this week is about absolution, You're not actually going to hear me use the word absolution, uh, but I am talking about it. Because another way to describe absolution is to pardon or to forgive. So I figured I'd just kind of get that out of the way. I don't want somebody to be, like, caught up waiting. Like, when is he going to say this word absolution? Figured I'd just get that out of the way right away. Getting back to this idea of words ringing in your ears, I'm sure— that for Peter, his words of denial, he denied Jesus, rang in his ears. I mean, how could they not? Three separate times he denied knowing Jesus. He probably remembered the exact words that he said, the exact tone and pitch that he said them, the exact speed and volume that he used each time. Not to belabor this point, but what Peter did was huge. Remember, Jesus told him that he would deny knowing him. But Peter, he was like, Jesus, I would die before I deny knowing you. And then, on three separate occasions, denied knowing his best friend and Lord. I'm sure Peter's words were ringing in his ears, playing over and over in his head. After he said those words of denying Jesus, he had a lot of time before he was able to be with Jesus again. A lot of time on his own. A lot of time alone with his thoughts, which can be an awful thing at times. In fact, going over the timeline that the Bible gives us, here's how much time Peter had before he actually saw Jesus as recorded in John chapter 21. So Peter denies knowing Jesus Friday morning. Good Friday. Then Sunday morning is when the women uh, go to the tomb and it's empty and they tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. Then Sunday evening is when Jesus busts into the room where the disciples are. And this is, uh, this is not a, a long visit, though. This is a, a short, Jesus is there, peace be with you, and he leaves. He doesn't get to have a, a chat with all of the disciples. Then, as John records in John chapter 20, it is eight days later when Jesus comes again to the disciples and addresses Doubting Thomas. And we don't actually know how much longer it is after this when the events of John chapter 21 take place, when Jesus meets Peter on the beach. So at a minimum, ten days have passed since Peter denied knowing Jesus. At least ten days, if not more. Try to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Have you ever done or said something wrong to someone to the point that it just weighed so heavy on your conscience? Like, you didn't find joy in doing anything that you normally enjoy doing. You, you didn't have much of an appetite. You had trouble sleeping. You just felt heavy. And the only thing you wanted to do was talk to that person and just tell them how sorry you were. Peter was tormented by his own sin, his disgusting words ringing in his ears. And so as Pastor Smith talked about last week, when Jesus is on the beach and Peter's on the boat, and he realizes it's Jesus, he doesn't even know how to act. He throws on his work clothes over his waist, and he jumps out of the boat that is close to the shore and runs to Jesus. He, he just doesn't know how to act. He just wants to go to Jesus. I'm sure Peter didn't exactly know how he was going to start off the conversation either. I mean, when you've wronged somebody, when you've hurt somebody, and you see them like at an event or out in public, it, it can be kind of awkward. Like, do I, do I act like things are normal? Do I ask you how you're doing? Do I try to make jokes? You know, it can, it can be tough not knowing how to act around somebody when you've wronged them. But one of the beautiful things of this story is that Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to make the first move. He doesn't wait for Peter to ask for forgiveness. Jesus initiates. Jesus takes the first step in forgiving Peter and restoring the relationship. And contrary to how we might prefer to do things, Jesus doesn't skirt around the conflict, around Peter's sin. Peter has sinned, and it needs to be dealt with. Jesus also doesn't lessen the severity of the sin. He deals with it head on. Peter denies Jesus three times. And what are Jesus' first words to Peter in John 21? Asking him, do you love me? Three times. If, if Jesus had come to Peter and was like, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Peter would have begged to differ. His guilt, uh, it was a huge deal to Peter. It burdened him. And Jesus knew that. Sin needs to be dealt with directly in a world, in a culture that is so quick to call someone out when somebody has done something wrong, how often is there real forgiveness? More often than not, either there is no sense of forgiveness or if somebody does apologize, what do you hear? It's okay. Not a problem. Don't worry about it. Thank God that is not how Jesus deals with our sin Because saying, it's okay, saying, don't worry about it, that just minimizes the sin. Jesus doesn't want to minimize our sin. He wants to remove it from us completely. Psalm 103 says, for as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. Jesus says, doesn't want to make our sin small or manageable so that we can more easily carry them. He wants to remove them from us altogether. In 1 John, John says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our unrighteousness. And so on your way in, you should have received a piece of paper and a writing utensil. And uh, this is going to—we'll be using that now, and this is actually going to be kind of like a, a time of confessing. This is an opportunity to write down all the sins in your life that burden you, all the things that you feel regret about, all that you're ashamed of, All the sins that ring and replay over in your head. The sins that you probably won't even tell somebody if you were on your deathbed about. Write down all the sins that make you feel unworthy before God. No one is going to see these. This is between you and God. Write them down. And I'll tell you in a moment what to do with them. Our enemy, the devil, he he wants to do everything he can to make you hold on to the weight and the burden of your sin. The Bible refers to the devil as the accuser. That is literally what Satan means. So Satan is going to point to and accuse you of the sins that you have committed. He's going to bring up your past sins The Bible also calls the devil the father of lies. He's going to tell you that your sins are way too big to be forgiven. He's going to tell you, you have committed this one sin too many times that there is no more grace. He's going to, at every turn, point to your sin. He's going to try to define you by your sin, by what you have done. He's going to remind you that you have failed miserably to live up to God's standard for your life. He is going to shout your failure and your sin so loud so that it echoes and rings in your ears. He wants you to be stuck with the burden of your sin. He wants your sin to define you. But Jesus came give us freedom from sin. He doesn't want to minimize your sin. He wants to remove it from you completely. I bet there are some of you who wrote down some pretty heavy things on your list. Those are things that you've done. They're not who you are. Because though the devil wants your sins to ring in your ears and he wants you to fixate on what you've done, he doesn't get the final word. Your sin does not get the final word. In the Forgiving Challenge book, uh, Zach Zender uses this illustration of a courtroom. And in this illustration, we are the defendants. And the the evidence, the proof of our crime, of our sin, is undeniable. There is enough proof to give us the death sentence more than 20 times over. We are guilty. But Jesus comes to our defense and he says, I'll take their punishment. And God the Father, he accepts this. The innocence of Jesus is better than our worst sins. God the Father, the judge, declares you not guilty. You are sinful. Make no mistake about it. We don't minimize sin. But because of Christ and Christ alone, you are declared not guilty. And that declaration rings in our ears The words of forgiveness, the fact that Jesus has taken your guilt from you, those words have a powerful effect. Because those words are not just a temporary declaration, but for those who are in Christ, they are a permanent status. You are not guilty. No matter how many or how big your sins are, because of Jesus' death on the cross on your behalf, God the Father declares you not guilty. When Jesus uttered his last words from the cross, "To die," or it is finished, that was like the sound of a gavel ringing out throughout all of human history. From that moment on, those who come to believe in Jesus, their guilt and their sin is taken away from them. Jesus paid for your sin. Stop holding on to it. Think of it this way. If you agreed to and paid someone for an item, it's not theirs anymore. Well, Jesus, he paid for your sin. It's not yours to hold on to. So give your sin to Jesus. His grace is sufficient for you. Even your ugliest, nastiest sin is forgiven in Christ. Give him the weight and the burden that you've been carrying. Give it to Jesus. He doesn't want you to punish yourself for your sin or to beat yourself up mentally when you slip back into a sin. He doesn't want you to think that you need to try to repay him somehow. There are no strings attached to God's grace, no conditions, no clauses in the contract, nothing. God's grace is a free gift to you. I know there are some people here who are still going to have a hard time forgiving themselves. Certain sins they've committed, they just think are too big. But Jesus paid too high of a price, too high of a price to take away your sin for you to still hold on to it. You are not outside of God's grace. All the things you wrote down on your sheet, they do not define you. God's grace and his forgiveness do. In fact, this morning we are going to be reminded of that very forgiveness. That declaration of not guilty that we have been given. In a few moments we're going to be reminded of and receive the very forgiveness that Jesus offers in the Lord's Supper. The very body and blood of Jesus. When you come up, I I want you to bring your piece of paper with you. And between then and now, I want you to rip it up to as many pieces as you can. Your sin doesn't define you, God's grace does. Jesus has forgiven all of your sins. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin, He doesn't see a failure. He doesn't see you, maybe even the way that you see you. When he looks at you, he delights in you. Because of Jesus, though you have accumulated guilt, the judge declares you not guilty. So when you come up for the Lord's Supper, bring your guilt, bring your burden, bring your regret. Bring your failure, and there's going to be a trash can here. I want you to bring it and throw it down and receive the very forgiveness, the body and blood of Jesus that makes you not guilty. And may his words of forgiveness, that declaration of not guilty, that you are forgiven, may those words be the words that ring in your ear. May those words replay over and over in your mind and define who and whose you are. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your forgiveness, your forgiveness of our sin that is completely unconditional. God, help us to not hold on to the guilt of our sin Lord, but to give it to you, to throw it at the foot of the cross and to receive the very forgiveness that you give us. God, you don't want us to hold on to this burden anymore. God, help us to give it to you, to take your forgiveness and to let it change and define who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.